65 today. We are doing a study of the book of Isaiah, and we obviously are not doing this chapter by chapter. Um, I've been all over the place in this, in this book, um, and, I, and I, I, I kind of said that at the beginning, is, is that there's just things in this, this book that kind of hits all over the place. And something I've said about Isaiah, and we need to remember, Isaiah was a prophet of God 700 years before Jesus was born. And the thing about Isaiah, two very important things was he heard what God had to say, and he saw what God was going to do. If you remember back in chapter 1, it says that, that a vision was given to Isaiah. And Isaiah had visions of what God was going to do. Isaiah saw like different time frames of things that were going to happen. He saw things happening in, in his time. And the things that he was seeing was that God gave him visions about the judgments that was going to come upon the nation of Israel. He saw the invasion of other armies coming into Israel. And, and he, he spoke about that to the kings at that time. But some other things that Isaiah saw was he also saw in the future. He saw 700 years before what would come with the Messiah of Israel coming. He saw the birth of Christ. He saw Jesus. Now, in his time, he didn't know that was Jesus. We look back and know that's what he was prophesying. He saw the death of Christ. He saw the Messiah of Israel come and die. He saw it. But he also saw futuristic events even farther into the future. He saw end-time events. And we talked about this a few, couple weeks ago. He saw the judgment of the tribulation coming upon the earth. He saw the second coming of Christ coming. He saw the, the, the end times, not just end times, but eternal things also. He sees like uh, the end times judgments for believers and unbelievers. He sees all this stuff. Could you imagine seeing that stuff? I mean, I mean, wouldn't that just like, like how many of you would just blow a fuse? But he saw it, and he writes it down. And we have the opportunity to see what Isaiah saw. Here in Isaiah chapter 65, we're looking at verses 17 through 25. Not, I'm just looking at the first couple verses today. But actually, today, next week, and probably even a couple weeks after, we are going to look at the eternal things. This week and next week, we're looking at what Isaiah 65 portrays in what is seen to be the what is called the millennial reign the thousand year reign now again just like when he saw the messiah he doesn't know it, it, it doesn't mention jesus's name anywhere in the book of isaiah but we know it's jesus that he's talking about and this chapter 65 within it by itself you would say there's nothing here that says this is the millennial reign so here's what i'm going to do Okay, for the majority of my message, we are going to look at this chart. <laughs> I know it's there. There it is. I'm a little fast. <laughs> We're going to look at this chart for this message, and I'm going to show us how it leads up to the millennial reign, the thousand year reign. Okay, so before I jump into Isaiah 65, be patient with me because a lot of you are going to be like, dude, you have been talking about this stuff a lot. 
But how many of you know you can't hear enough about the end times? Loved ones, they are on our heels. And, and we need to understand this, okay? And so what we need to do is b- begin with the cross. Now, like I said, a lot of this is going to be very elementary teaching, all right? I have taught about this times and times again. I've been talking about this stuff over the past few weeks, even in the book of Isaiah. But I want to go through it again because it's going to lead up to the millennial reign. There's things that I'm going to have to remind you about, show you multiple scriptures, so you'll see how we get to the millennial reign and even to the new heaven and the new earth, all right? There are things that's going to happen that we all need to see that, that by, by themselves, it's, but when you take the culmination of them all and put them together, you see how they layer together. And so everything begins with the cross. Everything begins with the life and death of Christ, all right? When Jesus was alive, there were three things that he kept repeating himself about. One, that he was going to die. He kept telling people, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Secondly, he kept telling people, oh, by the way, not only am I going to die, but I'm coming back to life. And he kept saying, I'm going to resurrect, I'm going to resurrect, I'm going to resurrect. But then there was a third thing he kept repeating and telling people. Do you know what it is? I'm coming back. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm here once. But then I'm going to die, I'm going to resurrect, and I'm going to go away. And you won't see me anymore, but um, I will come back. And he kept telling people, I'm going to die, I'm going to resurrect, and I'm coming back. I'm going to die, I'm going to resurrect, I'm coming back. And in fact, when you go to Acts chapter 1, now if you notice on your outline there, the first page is just a bunch of stuff, okay? Now here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to look at your outline and go, what is this? This is nonsense. This is your homework, okay? I don't want you to just take, oh, Jim's saying it's got to be right. Go home and read it, okay? So in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is finally done with, you know, he had already, he died, he resurrected. He's been um, showing up and, and over, the, over 40 days, he's been showing up to the disciples, to people. People have seen him. Here in Acts chapter 1, He's finally with the disciples, and he's giving them some, he's commissioning them, giving us some marching orders, and he starts to ascend. And he ascends on the clouds, and they're looking up in the air, and an angel shows up, and he's like, why are you looking up in the air? He says, this same Jesus that you see going will be the same Jesus that comes back in the same way. So even in Acts chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus is coming back. So after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, now the disciples have their marching orders. And when you get to Acts chapter 2, this is when you see the, the Holy Spirit come down. The Holy Spirit that Jesus kept talking about in the book of John. I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you a counselor. And he's going to come. And the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 falls on the church, falls on that small group of 120 people. And in that moment, the church is birthed. The Holy Spirit, we even sing a song, the Holy Spirit lit the flame. Lit it up. And at that moment, the church started and the church age began. We, over the past 2,000 years, have been living in what is known as the church age. We are still in that church age. All right? And over the past 2,000 years, the church has had a mission. And that mission is simple. Preach the gospel. We were to be witnesses for Jesus. All right? We are to evangelize. We are to spread the gospel, teach the word of God. Why? Because Jesus wants people to come to know him and believe in him. 
So over the past 2,000 years, you have seen the gospel preached and, 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 and proclaimed. And people have come to believe that word. Over the past 2,000 years, millions upon millions of people have made decisions to believe and trust in Jesus as their Savior. And those people, once they become born again, saved, a believer, a follower in Jesus Christ, they are sealed for eternity with Christ. As Jesus tells us in the book of John over and over, they have eternal life. That has been going on and is still going on today. Now, people who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, if they come to the place where their body dies, the body goes into the ground, but their spirit goes to heaven. That is what happens with every believer right now. Your body dies, goes into the ground, your spirit goes to heaven. See, elementary, we all know this stuff, right? But does it ever get old? But what about those who have not believed? Because over the two, past 2,000 years, the gospel has been preached, and there have been people who have believed it, and there have been people who have rejected it. And for 2,000 years, and it still goes on today, people hear the gospel. People hear about believing in Jesus. People hear about the fact that they are sinners. And people will still say, I don't need it. There are still people who still say that over, even over the past 2,000 years, I can work my way to God. I can be good enough. I can be religious enough. I can do things and God will accept me. And they keep rejecting what Jesus came to do. And so now over the past 2,000 years, just as today... There are people who say, I don't need Jesus. I can get there myself. I don't need to believe in him who die. Their bodies go into the grave or their bodies go into the ground, go into the grave and their spirits go to Hades. You find that in the book of Luke chapter 16. Hades is a, is a holding prison for the unbeliever. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I said that Isaiah saw the final judgment, the end times judgment, the eternal judgment of the unbeliever. And in that, in that eternal judgment, it says that Hades and death are thrown into the lake of fire. Hades is a temporary holding cell. It's a prison for the unbelieving spirit, the soul. And that unbelieving soul will stay in Hades until the final judgment. They don't come out. And their bodies will remain in the grave. At the final judgment, the unbeliever, they will stand body and soul before the great white throne. That has been going on for the past 2,000 years. There are people in heaven and there are people in Hades with their graves filled with bodies. At the end of the church age, which is quickly coming to an end, because in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is asked, when are you coming back? What are some signs that you are going to come back? And Jesus begins to list some signs. But it's not the signs themselves, because the signs that he gives have been going on since the time of humanity has been around. The key to the signs is when you see things happening and they are like birth pains, how many of you know, and I've said this multiple times, there's a, ladies, if you've had a child, you can, you can, you get this. There's a difference between pregnancy and birth pains, isn't there? When you're pregnant, you're pregnant from the time you, from conception, and you are pregnant, 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 and your body is changing. Humanity has been impregnated with sin since Adam and Eve. 
Okay, And it has changed throughout history and generation after generation. It changes. But how many of you ladies know that when birth pains happen, something different is happening? There is no more, oh, we've got four more months to go, is it? It's like maybe four hours. But when you have that first birth pain, it intensifies, doesn't it? You're no longer just pregnant. What's about to happen? Birth. Birth is imminent. Birth is going to happen. And Jesus says in these signs, he goes, I'm telling you, when you see these signs and they are like birth pains, they intensify, they grow, they're stronger. Something is about to take place. And that something that is about to take place is the rapture. Jesus tells us this. In Matthew chapter 24, he, he's talking about when you start to see these signs happen. He goes, there's going to be two women working. One will be taken, one will be left behind. There will be two men working together. One will be taken, one will be left behind. What is he talking about, this idea that, that people are going to be taken, people are going to be left behind? He's talking about what 1 Thessalonians talks about, this, this idea of the catching away of people. In 1 Thessalonians, we use the word rapture, and the reason why we use the word rapture is that the word rapture is actually Latin. So when, when the New Testament was, was translated, the Greek, into Latin, the 1 Thessalonians, the word caught up, that you read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in the Greek, in the Latin, is rapture. So that's why we use the, the, the English word rapture. It's just from the Latin. But the idea is that it talks about where that the first phase, remember I've said this, Jesus' second coming is going to happen in two phases. Phase one is a partial return. It says in 1 Thessalonians that Jesus is going to descend on the clouds and with a shout, with a trumpet blast, he is going to call up every believer, dead and alive. And what this is, it says that we will be caught up in the air with Christ, then go back to heaven. The word caught up is where we get our English word rapture. The church, the, every believer who is truly born again, who is saved, Dead or alive will be caught up with Christ in the air. The dead is going to come back alive. Jesus talks about this when he was alive, about a resurrection from the dead. The dead in Christ is going to resurrect. Whether you've been cremated, whether your, your bones are in the grave, it doesn't matter. Your body is coming back together. And then your body is going to resurrect and your spirit is going to descend with Jesus and come back together, go back to heaven. Then we, if you are still alive at this point, your body and your spirit already intact, poof, gone. All right? Gone, raptured, taken out. Now here's what we need to understand about this rapture. When the dead are resurrected, the living are resurrected or are, are, are raptured, when we 
are caught up, something happens to our bodies. When you're raptured, when your body comes back from the dead or you're raptured physically, you do not maintain this body. It becomes a heavenly body. Let me show you a couple of scriptures to show this. First, first Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body. It is raised as a spiritual body. You see, your body is going to change. It's not going to be the same. It's going to be this heavenly spiritual body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 53, Paul writes it this way. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This physical body can't be in heaven. Okay? It won't inherit it. Okay? So here's what Paul says. He says, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. He's describing the rapture right there. He's like, here's what's going to happen. He's like, with the trumpet blast, when Jesus comes back with that trumpet blast, the dead, boom, in a flash, the twinkling of an eye. How quick is that? That fast. It's not like, and everything's starting to come back together. No, it's boom. The dead are raised. That imperishable body, that body of weakness, that body of dishonor in Christ is raised with power, raised in glory, raised imperishable, raised as from a natural to a spiritual body in a twinkling of an eye, that fast, caught up. Then when he says, and then we... Basically, then we who are still alive in the twinkling of an eye changed, transformed. This natural body, I don't know about you, but my knees really hurt some days. <laughs> I am a walking barometer. Some of you are like, oh, dude, amen on that. I know what that feels like. You people in your 20s and 30s, you're like, dude, you're old. You're getting there. Trust me. <laughs> I remember back in my 20s, I was like, now I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't get down the stairs. I can't. That body, right now we are in weakness. Paul says you're going to be raised to glory, to honor, to strength. In the twinkling of an eye. That is going to take place at the rapture. When the rapture happens, every believer is taken to heaven, dead or alive. And that's going to usher in the next thing. And loved ones, trust me, we are seeing things intensify in our world. I mean, 
Those of you that are 40, 50, 60, older, you can look back 40, 50 years ago and go, things are so different. Things are different from 20 years ago. We're seeing things happening in our world. It just seems like birth pains are intensifying. So that's why I truly believe that we have got to be like, Jesus is coming back. And when that rapture happens, the dead in Christ, the alive in Christ are out of here. Those who are still unbelievers who are in the ground stay in the ground. And their bodies and their spirits, their spirit will remain in Hades. It doesn't resurrect at the rapture. It stays put. Only those who are born again, only those who are truly saved will be raptured out of this world. And that rapture leads us to the next prophetic event that will take place. The tribulation. That is going to happen. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in Isaiah chapter 24. But a tribulation is going to take place. A tribulation that, as, I, as Isaiah talks about in chapter 24, that God is going to lay waste this earth. He is going to shake it. He is going to twist it. He is going to... For a period of about seven years, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on this world because of the sin of humanity. The arrogance. People saying, we don't need God. We don't need to, we don't need to follow his word. We don't need to listen to him. I'm telling you, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the sin of humanity. And, and this world as we know it now is going to be, the face of it is going to be changed and altered in a way that you and I cannot begin to fathom. We just see glimpses of what a tornado can do. We see glimpses of when a tsunami sweeps through. We see glimpses of what a hur an earthquake will do. We just see glimpses. But imagine that taking place worldwide for seven years, just complete devastation. And Revelation tells us that there are 21 judgments that God is going to bring about on this world. 21 of them. And Revelation makes it very clear that during those seven years, during that tribulation period, billions of people, the majority of humanity will probably die during the tribulation because of everything that takes place. Not everybody is going to die. But here's what we need to understand. After the rapture, Every believer on the face of the planet will be gone. The only people going into the tribulation will be people who never trusted Jesus. Every unbeliever, male, female, young, old, black, white, doesn't matter. Anybody who's never trusted in Jesus Christ, never put their faith in Christ, will be left behind. And Jesus already said it. There will be one taken and one left behind. And those left behind will enter into the tribulation period as an unbeliever. Now here's what we need to understand. Even though every single person going into the tribulation will be unbelievers, not everybody will stay an unbeliever. There will be people who will come to saving faith in Christ during the tribulation. But I said this a couple weeks ago. It is going to be very hard to do that 
And two primary reasons. One reason is that the Antichrist is going to come to power. And it tells us in Scripture that he sets himself up to be God. And that, they, that he's, going to be in, he's going to be indwelt by Satan. And one of the, the names of Satan is the deceiver and liar. Satan is the greatest deceiver and the greatest liar ever. And so he's going to indwell the, 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 the Antichrist. And guess what the Antichrist is going to become? The greatest deceiver and liar on the face of the earth. And a strong delusion will come over people. The eyes of their spirits will be blinded. And the idea of trusting in Jesus, and guys, tell me, if this does, we don't see this today, is going to be completely and utterly nonsense. Because the Antichrist is going to be able to convince people, I am the Christ. I am the real Messiah. That Jesus character, false. Don't believe it. Do we not hear that today? That everybody can worship in any kind of other religion, but Christianity is nonsense. It is setting the stage. So the Antichrist is going to be able to give a strong delusion, but also, as first, let me get my scripture here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us, it says that the one that holds back the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world right now. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is holding back what is to ha really happen. But it says in 2 Thessalonians that when the one who's holding it back is taken out of the way, that's when the Antichrist is going to be able to come to power and deceive people. What that means is that I believe when the church is raptured, the believers are raptured, guess who goes with it? Because guess who fills the believers now? The Holy Spirit. Guess who fills the church now? The Holy Spirit. So when the believers are gone, the, whole, the church is gone, guess who goes with it? The Holy Spirit, which means the convicting power that you and I feel right now is gone. So that strong delusion, that deception is going to be very real and very powerful where people will have a very difficult time coming to faith in Christ. So the question's got to be asked then, like, then how, how will people come to know Christ? Who's, who's going to, do you want to know the first group of people that's going to come to know Jesus during the tribulation and really fast? Nope. Close. There's going to be 144,000 Jews, but there's going to be a group of false believers. There are people sitting in churches across this world playing church. There are people sitting in church today, oh, I'm a Christian, but there's nothing about their life that would indicate it. All they have is, I'm a Christian because I say I am. I'm a Christian because I show up to church on Sunday every now and then. That makes, me a church, that makes me a Christian. But there's nothing about their life that has changed. There's nothing about their life that says that I am a follower of Christ. There's nothing about their life that says, man, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Nothing. All they have is a stamp on their head. I'm a Christian. And they're not. And these are the people who have pretended their old life, who have deceived and fooled people their entire life, will not be able to fool Christ. And those people who think they are saved truly are not. And when the church is raptured, they will be left behind and they will have a, a huge aha moment because they will go, I was a liar. 
doesn't mean as a believer you're going to be perfect in any means. But man, you should be progressing more and more and more and more like Jesus all the time. And if you're not, if you're the same person as you were 10 years ago when you said, oh, I came to Jesus 20 years ago, but your life isn't different. As Paul says, you better examine yourself to see if you truly are in the faith. Because if you truly are not in the faith, I am telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, when Jesus says, come up here, you will be left behind. And that's when you will wake up and go, Jesus, forgive me. There will be false believers who will come to repentance at the beginning of the tribulation. And then they will become witnesses for Christ during the tribulation. Now, during the tribulation, people will die. There will be people who come to saving faith during the tribulation. There will be people who have, who have come to trust Jesus. They will be born again. They will, they will be saved during the tribulation. If they die, their bodies go into the grave and their spirits go to heaven. Those who reject Christ, and we saw this a couple weeks ago. Revelation shows this multiple times, that there will be people, despite everything happening during the tribulation, they will still turn away from Christ and follow the Antichrist. So if people reject Christ, continue to follow the Antichrist during the tribulation, when they die, their bodies go into the grave and their spirits to Hades. And that will continue on through the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, when the tribulation nears an end, will usher in the second phase of Jesus' return. We saw this a couple weeks ago in in Revelation chapter 19. That Jesus is going to come at the end of the tribulation. He's coming back. And this is when he makes his full, complete return to Christ or to, to, to the earth. Where his feet will touch down. And as Zacharias says, that his feet, when they touch the ground, will split the earth in half. He will come down. But here's the thing. Before his feet touch the ground, there's going to be a war going on. And Revelation chapter 19 says that Jesus will be on a white horse. And who's coming with him? Raise your hand if you know who. The church is coming back with them. All right? We're going to be on our white horses. But here's the thing. Nobody's getting any blood on them, only Jesus. Why? Because it says that a sword is going to come out of his mouth and destroy everybody. And that sword will be the very word of God. And by the words spoken from his mouth, see, the Antichrist is going to see Jesus come back. Because listen, here's what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 24, here's what it says. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes on the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. That's what Jesus describes as himself. He says there's a tribulation coming, and when it ends, guess who's coming at the end of it? Me. And he says, and at that time, everybody's going to see me. And they're going to mourn because at that time, the Antichrist, as Revelation 19 says, the Antichrist, along with his armies, is going to deceive themselves and think, we can beat him now. Man, he's on a horse. Look at what we have. There's no way that a horse is going to defeat us. And they will be eliminated. 
completely annihilated by the very word of God coming out of Jesus' mouth. And it says in Revelation 19 that the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death, where they will forever, day and night, be in torment. Then Jesus sets his feet on the ground for his second return. And when he sets his feet on the ground, he sets up the next thing that happens on the chart, the millennial reign. Revelation chapter 20 describes this. Revelation chapter 20 says that when Jesus finally eliminates the Antichrist and the false prophet, the next thing that he does is that an angel takes Satan, binds him up, and then it says it throws him into the pit or the abyss. I believe he's thrown into, into Hades. And it says that, that like, like the, the prison door is shut. And for a thousand years, Satan is bound. And for a thousand years, unable to move. For a thousand years, unable to deceive people. For a thousand years, unable to tempt people. For a thousand years, the, the, the pull that Satan has on us right now, that, that spiritual force, is gone. And then it says in Revelation 19 that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom and reign on this earth for a thousand years. Now, why does he do that? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. It just says he's going to do it. Are you okay with the fact that Jesus just does something and you don't need an explanation as to why? He's just going to do it. He's like, for a thousand years. I'm going to rule and reign right here on earth. Now the question is, is who's going to rule and reign with him? Two groups of people. One, I think we will to a degree. And here's why. Do you remember when I said that your body's going to be changed? Okay? Our bodies, our glorified body is going to be a lot like Jesus' glorified body. And do you remember what Jesus was able to do with that glorified body? He walked through walls. He was like here one moment and gone the next. Now, I don't have scriptural evidence to support this, so this is my, my best effort, okay? I believe that the church, we're raptured, we're in heaven, tribulation's going on, we come back with Jesus. We will still have the ability to go back and forth. We can be on the earth and we can be in heaven. How is that possible? Because we have a glorified body. We don't have a physical body. We're different. We've been changed. We've been transformed. We are in the spiritual. I know that, that blows your mind, right? You're like, how does that happen? I have no idea. I just know Jesus was able to do it. We will have the same kind of glorified body. And so I believe we will be with Christ on the earth, but there's another group of people that will be with Christ on the earth. The people who survive the tribulation, all the believers. Because the question is, they're a believer in Christ, they survive the tribulation, what happens to them? Well, Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, I think gives us the answer. Again, let me, actually, Krista, can you bring up verses 29 and 30 real quick first? Again, 
Jesus says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon with the night and then the stars. Okay, next one, the heavens are going to be shaken. Then will appear the heaven and the sign of the Son of Man, and then the tribes of the earth are going to mourn, and then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and all great glory. Jesus is like, everybody's going to see me. This is going to take place. And then in verse 31, he says this, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and the, from one end of the heavens to the other. The four winds and the, heaven, and the ends of the heavens is really just symbolically of saying that this angel is going to go all over the earth and gather all those who've come to know Christ. Because the elect are those who came to know Jesus Christ during the tribulation, and they will be gathered. And gathered to do what? To come into the millennial reign and for a thousand years dwell with Christ. Now, that's going to be important to, to keep that in your memory bank because I'm not going to talk about that today, but I'll come back to that next week. They, however, will not have a glorified body. I'm going to let that sit there. Y'all want you to be home. What in the world is he talking about? They're not going to have a glorified body like we are because they haven't gone to heaven yet. They're still on the earth. And Jesus is just going to establish his kingdom, his reign on the earth. And we'll see that in Isaiah chapter 65. But today, what I want to show you is this. Okay, go back to the chart. Is this millennial reign. Do you see how everything progresses up to it? Do you see why I wanted to go through all that? Because now we're at this millennial reign, this thousand-year reign of Christ. And what Isaiah is seeing, if you were to read all these verses, you're going to read them and go, wow, that sounds a lot like Revelation 21. It does sound like it, but it's different. There are some differences between this and Revelation chapter 21. This, as a lot of scholars believe, is Isaiah seeing the millennial reign what Jesus does to this earth for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 21, which I'm going to talk about in a couple of weeks, is John seeing what God does for eternity. So today, what I want to do is show you two things that's going to happen when Jesus establishes the earthly reign for a thousand years on this earth. And here's the first thing that's going to take place on this earth during the millennial reign. It's this. The earthly reign will be a time of environmental transformation. It's going to be a time of environmental transformation. Let me ask you, was that a long intro to a message or what? (laughs) You're like, dude, we've already been sitting here for like 40 minutes. You got to, trust me, two points done in about 10 minutes. I'll have you home for lunch in the Super Bowl, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) So I got time. But the first thing that we see here is that there is going to be environmental transformation. Let me read the text, and then then I'm going to talk about. So he says, behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. All right, now let's sit there. Now, if you know Revelation chapter 1, you see the same thing. Behold, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Now, like I said, Revelation chapter 21 and here in Isaiah, they sound very similar. They look parallel, but there are differences in Revelation that's not here in chapter 21 or chapter 65. They're different, okay? 
In fact, the word create here, we need to get an understanding. The word create actually means to shape or to bring about. And, and the word new actually means to be renewed or restored. Okay? So remember, when we look at the tribulation, what happens to the earth? Remember, Isaiah said that the earth was going to be laid waste. It was going to be devastated. It was going to be, it, like, like Isaiah talks about how it's going to be twisted. All right? We just saw when Jesus comes back that the heavens are going to, like, the, the stars are falling out of it. Everything is going, this, this natural world and the natural heavens are going to be shaken in such a way, literally, we haven't seen it. And so when Jesus returns, the earth, the heavens are inhabitable. There's no way we can live in them. So what is Jesus going to do? And how he does this, I have no idea. All I know is in the beginning, when God created, did, it, did he, was he like, well, I got to really mold this thing? Or did he go, let there be? I have a feeling that when Jesus returns, he's going to be able to say, let there be. And boom, just like we are going to be instantly in a moment in a twinkling of an eye transformed, I truly believe that Jesus will be able to transform this world environmentally in a flash. And people will be able to inhabit it. So when he says, I'm going to create this new heaven and this new earth, it's going to be restoring. Think of, you know, how many of you uh, grew up in the day where, where like muscle cars were, were the thing? You know, back in, when I was in high school, you know, Jeff Kessinger, he and I went to high school together. And muscle cars, man. Everybody had a muscle car. Whether it was an old Camaro, an old Nova, you know, it didn't matter. For me, if I could get a muscle car today, it'd be a 67 Camaro. Man, I just, oh yeah, I just love that. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you, were to, oh, if you were to go out to some farmer, and he says, hey, I got a Camaro for you, man. You want to come out and take a look at it? I'm like, woo, yeah. And you go out there, you'd be like, ugh. How long has this been sitting here? 35 years. How many of you know that Camaro would have a few issues in it? Okay. I mean, the paint would be faded. The paint would probably be like rusting out. You know, the engine would be blot. I mean, it's not going to run. You know, rats have made their nest in there. Birds have pooped all over the paint. You know, the interior is just ripped apart. You look at it, you know, there's probably a hole in the floorboard. You look in the trunk and you're like, ah, the tires are flat. there's nothing good on this car. And you're like, but you know what? I, I, I can rebuild it. I, I, I'm going to make it like the $6 million man. We've got the technology. We can do this thing. And you take it home. And you just start just doing all kinds of, t- I mean, it takes you a year to do it. But then you roll that thing out of the garage. And somebody comes up to your house and they go, hey, did you just buy that new? I didn't know they were making 67 Camaros anymore. You'd be like, dude, no. It's still an old car. It's still 50 years old, but it's restored. It is in pristine condition. And look at it. It doesn't look beautiful. Jesus is going to take a world that looks like it is completely and utterly devastated, and he is going to restore it, and it is going to be in pristine condition. It is going to be a world Now, will it be like what we see now? I don't know. Or will it be pre-fall, the pre-cursed earth? We don't know. It doesn't say. He's just like, I'm just going to make something, and it's going to be fabulous. It's going to be pristine. 
And so the first thing that we see is that there's going to be an environmental transformation. Here's the second thing we see that's going to take place is that the earthly reign will be a time of emotional transformation. There's going to be environmental transformation and emotional transformation. So he says, behold, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Now, what does he mean that, that we're not going to be remembering things? How many of you know a lot of our emotional distress comes from memories? How many of you, 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 you think of something and it can just put a check in you? You think of, you know, a death of a loved one and you can become sad really quick, right? Memories, there's something about the memories. Now, here's the thing. Here's, as I studied this, as I read this, when it talks about the former things not coming to mind and the memories never coming to mind, I don't think that's a complete erase of the memory bank, all right? I think what takes place here is just like, and I believe this is like for us when we go to heaven, when we are transformed physically, everything about our body is going to be transformed. Do you want to know what else I think is going to be completely transformed? Our minds. Our memories, I don't think, are going to be completely wiped away because how many of you know there are good things that we see and we do on the, and we've got you've got great memories and you can think about something and it brings you joy doesn't it it just like you can think about that and you can just like for me i just think about just going to the beach man me and paula going down to destin and i'm telling you i can sit there and just close my eyes and think about it and i'm just like mm. i'm in the i makes me feel good i think the memories that are going to be wiped away and i i, I wrote it this way it says it's probably like our past troubles will be forgotten, not all of our memories. Our memories will eventually be cleansed, redeemed, healed, and restored, but not erased. There's no reason we could not possess many memories from our earthly lives. The memories that will be cleansed are the ones that involve sin, pain, and sadness. That's why people say, do you think when we're in heaven, we're going to be able to remember, you know, things and that hurt us. I don't believe so because that would bring pain and sadness. But the memories that we have are good. Why would God not allow us to keep those? There are things about this life that are good. I don't know about you, but how about remembering the first time that you really came to know Christ? I mean, why would God go and pull that thing out? What a great memory to remember. To, that when you're with your Savior, face to face, to be able to go, I remember when I called on you for the first time. You see, so I believe that the memories that are going to be gone, and some of us have some memories that we just hate right now. Those memories that bring pain, those memories of sin that gone, forgotten. And we will be healed from, from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet, transformed. And I believe the people that will come into the tribulation or out of the tribulation into the, that will happen to them. Just cleansed, washed, everything. And then it goes on and says, in verse 18, he says, Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create a Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Now in this moment, I almost think Isaiah is almost seeing a blend here between the millennial reign and the eternal kingdom. Because when I get to the eternal kingdom, it talks about um, the new Jerusalem and everything. 
And he's talking about this idea that Jerusalem is going to be a delight for people. I think Jerusalem and in, in the, in the, that Jesus will dwell in Jerusalem during the millennial reign. And then the new Jerusalem is going to come down in the eternal kingdom. And I'm going to get to that in a couple of weeks. But he's talking about this idea of joy and rejoicing. In verse 19, he says, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and to take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Now, here's why this is different. Because if you go to Revelation chapter 21, it says there's no more crying, no more weeping, no more death, no more pain. Isaiah doesn't say that. He just says there's going to be no more crying and no more weeping. Emotional transformation. Some of you have probably battled anxiety and depression. You, you, you battle sadness. When you go to heaven, gone. When you are transformed physically and you have that spiritual body on and your mind is renewed, your mind has been cleansed, your mind has... No more sadness. No more crying. No more weeping. Guess what? The Bible says that in the presence of the Lord, there is joy. There's nothing else. There is no darkness. There is no sadness. There is nothing in the presence of the Lord but joy. I don't know about you, but that is going to be awesome to experience. That whether I am able to go from the millennial kingdom back to heaven or it's those people who are just going to be in the millennial kingdom with Jesus all the time, they will be in the presence of their Savior and no weeping, no crying, no sadness, no bad memories. It'll be, you know, a, a, like a blissful utopia. You know, we, you watch a movie or something about that, just like, oh, it's a utopia. That's what it's going to be. Jesus ruling and reigning for a thousand years on this earth. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ already, you're going to experience it before then. Because you go to heaven and you get to experience it. But let me put the warning out. If you today are not a believer in Jesus Christ and you die... You do not get that reward. If you do not know Christ truly as your Savior, if your life is not different, if you say, oh, I'm a believer, but your life is not different, you're making no impact for the kingdom of God. You're, 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 you're building nothing for the kingdom of God. If you're just all about your own life, man, you better examine yourself to truly ask, am I in the faith? If you have never asked Jesus to be your Savior, I'm telling you, the Bible makes it very clear that if you die now, your body will go into the grave like every other person, but your spirit will go to Hades, and it will stay there. And it will stay in that prison until the very end. And then from that point, it is on to judgment and on to the eternal hell. That's why if you don't know Jesus Christ, as Paul says, I implore you on behalf of Christ, come to know him. Because you don't know two things. You don't know when your last breath will be taken, and you don't know if Jesus is going to say, come up here. And for those who keep thinking, eh, I'll risk it. You're throwing dice, and you're going to come up a loser every single time. Don't risk it.
If you don't know Christ as your Savior, today is your day. Paul says it very clear. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't put him off. Today is that day. Let's pray. If you just keep your head bowed with me. I just want you in this moment, examine where you are. Because the Bible shows that even in Jesus' time, there were people who were able to deceive those around them. Judas was able to deceive the other disciples in thinking that he was okay when he truly was not a real follower of Christ. There are people, and perhaps you are here today, you've, you've sat in this church maybe for years, and you have fooled everybody around you thinking, oh, they're a great Christian, but there's nothing about your life that's different. And maybe you're just playing Christianity right now. Or maybe you're here today and you've heard for the first time that you, have, that you are a sinner and your sin is going to separate you from Jesus. And Jesus is the only cure for your sin. And you've got to come to the place where you believe in him and trust him. And maybe that's you today. So I'm just going to give you an opportunity. If there is anyone here today, if you're not 100% sure that you are saved, you're not 100% sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. If you don't know absolutely 100%, then today is your day for salvation. So today, if you don't know Christ and you want to make sure you do know him, would you put up your hand because I want to pray with you. Would there be anybody here say, Jim, that's me. I want to believe in Christ. I want to trust him because I want to make sure I'm going to heaven and I will dwell with him. I'm going to close in prayer. I I want to encourage you, and I say this every time, even if you don't raise your hand now, it doesn't mean you can't walk out of this sanctuary and talk to me out in that foyer and come to me and say, Jim, help me to know Christ. So, Father, I just pray that you will just keep working in people's hearts. Jesus, thank you that you are coming back and you're going to take your church out of here. And, Lord, I would just pray for anyone here, though, Lord, who is truly not a believer. I'm just wondering if the Holy Spirit's been convicting their heart, but, Lord, something's holding them back from saying yes to you. I just pray that they would be willing to put that away, put that aside, and come to that place where they're like, Jesus, I need you. So, Lord, as we just close with this song, as we just leave this building today, if there would be anyone who needs to make that decision, let them come and talk to me. I just ask this, Father, in your holy, precious name. Amen. Let's all stand and close.